The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. Greetings, pet lovers. Hope you're up for another impactful episode of the Pet Buzz. I just can't wait to get started. So I bet you guys didn't know that the Iditarod started last weekend. The 51st running of the Iditarod trail sled dog race kicked off the first weekend of March, specifically March 5th, marking a full return to its pre-pandemic format. Now, here's the kicker. Only 33 mushers are signed up to compete. It's the smallest Iditarod field ever. Smaller even than the field of 34 mushers who started the very first Iditarod half a century ago. So why such a small number? The shrinkage is things that you're going to understand, things that you deal with every day. It's driven by ever-rising prices for supplies, feed, and fuel, diminishing interest in mushing as a sport and a lifestyle. There are fewer corporate sponsors to fill the race purse. Adverse environmental changes like declining salmon runs and variable winter weather conditions are also big factors. Additionally, many of the race's most well-known stalwarts and recent champions aren't competing this year. Nine of the competitors entered to run are rookies, marking the first time in Iditarod history that the number of newcomers has dipped into the single digits. One newbie entering the race is Tennessee Tech University alumna Jennifer Labar. Labar will be sitting at the starting line in Anchorage, Alaska with 14 of her dogs. Labar never dreamed about being a musher until she moved to Alaska and worked for a well-known racer who competed in such races for a few years. Now Labar and her husband own 20 racing dogs and run Rockin' Ridge Kennel in Healy, Alaska. Rockin' Ridge offers trips with sled dogs to the public. Look for her on the leaderboard. I think she's going to be a winner in years to come. You know, we asked a couple of times for interviews with the Iditarod folks, but requests were always denied or never answered. Since the race is about nine to 11 days long, we want to learn more about the race and find out why animal rights groups condemn this 1,049 mile race. So next week, look for the results from our investigation, but we got to move on with the show. So this week on the Peppas, we're speaking about the newest wedding trend, cat tossing, hopefully a brighter future for a sphinx cat who lived in a Mexican jail with gang members, National Catio Day, a new awareness holiday, money-saving pet tips, and... Well, over a month after a powerful magnitude 7.8 earthquake struck Turkey's central southern area, it killed over 40,000, causing widespread destruction, not only in Turkey, but in Syria. And animal rescuers are there still finding pets in the debris that need to be saved. And joining us today is Adam Periscandola, the vice president of the animal rescue team for the Humane Society of the United States and the Humane Society International. Adam, welcome to the Pet Buzz today. Thank you. Uh, and thank you so much for having me. 
Well, we're excited that you're here being able to talk about this because this is still devastating news that we're hearing every week. Well, the Humane Society International animal rescue and veterinary teams arrived in Turkey shortly after the February 6th earthquake. And then, of course, experienced powerful aftershocks, which made the matter worse. Before we get started, Adam, can you just describe the condition or the environment in which you've arrived? Was everything, were the buildings down, the people were running around? What was it like? Yeah, I mean, um, we are in Antakya, which is uh, a city in the Hatay uh, province um, and one of uh, uh, the most heavily damaged cities. Um, and so the damage is overwhelming. I mean, I would say 90% of the buildings are pretty extensively damaged. Some are rubble. Other ones are standing with, you know, walls missing. And um, most of the people at that point had moved into tent uh, camps around the city. But I have to say, like, this magnitude of destruction is 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 something I've never seen in my 25-year career of um, responding to disasters. So it's it's pretty uh it is pretty destructive earthquake of course that's dealing with the people that you're 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 talking about how, how have you been working with the locals to find the animals and what kind of animals are you finding and what kind of shape are they in yeah so um we actually got connected fairly early with um two veterinarians who were both um in their clinics and buried in their clinics when the earthquake uh, occurred. And they were in there for about two days before they were dug out. And once they were dug out, they immediately set up uh, tent clinics and started working to help help the animals. And so they're really amazing people here. Um, it's very clear the Turkish people have an incredible love for animals. Um, and so we also work with, there's a number of local res, uh, rescuers who are out looking for animals as well as owners. Um, there's a lot of social media, Facebook pages where owners will, Instagram is a big one, owners will um, send in reports of animals that are missing um, and ask for teams to go out and look uh, either in their um, area for those animals. Well, kind of a follow-up to that, we're talking about the veterinarians. What about supplies? Supplies uh, are difficult. Uh, even the human um, doctors have had a hard time getting certain antibiotics, and, and um, you know, everything has to be brought in from, from outside. There's not a single store open here in Antakya. Um, and so even the surrounding cities, I think their supply of um you know of, of supplies whether whether animals or humans is uh was for not made for this magnitude of need so uh slowly you know there are a lot of donations coming in from around turkey and um so things like cages and crates and uh veterinary supplies and medications those have been coming in now um and so i think the situation is getting getting a little better I mean, you see the pictures and you're, you know, I mean, it's dust and debris everywhere. You know, there, people are slowly starting. It's been a more than a month, so people are slowly moving out, you know. I, I mean, most the of the roads are, are really destroyed, too. And how do they get 
transporting things in. It's just got to be awful. Right. And people are all they're doing is moving rubble every day, looking yeah. for other people, looking for dead bodies, um, looking for animals now. Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking with Adam Parascondola, the vice president of Animal Rescue Team for the Humane Society of the United States and Humane Society International, discussing rescuing the animals in Turkey. You know, here, Adam, in the United States, we emphasize that you should never leave your pets behind. And this mode of thought really came about after Hurricane Katrina. I guess for the Turkish people, they, in some ways, they have the same philosophy. I mean, I know some people couldn't take their pets because, you know, like the vets, you said, were stuck in the clinics when the um, the earthquake happened. Um, people who were able to leave before the earthquake, were they able to take their pets? Yeah, well, uh, unfortunately, the earthquake was pretty sudden. And, um, you know, we're finding that overwhelmingly the the calls for rescue are for cats. And I think that's because um, when something happens like this terrifying, most people, you know, their dog, oftentimes the reaction is to is to come to them for comfort. But for cats, it's to hide. And so many of these people you know, had literally minutes when the shaking was starting to try to get out of their their buildings. And these are often high rise apartments and um, and cats, unfortunately, hide. And so many of them weren't able to find their cats before they left. Um, But certainly, you know, the anguish of these owners now uh, who have who are trying to find their their animals that they didn't get out with. They they have even sometimes come back in very risky situations and tried to go back into their um, damaged building to find their their animal. Or you know they come every day, you know, trying to leave food and call the animal. Um, so certainly, I think that they have the same feelings and the same philosophy. It's just unfortunately. The situation was so sudden and um, so terrifying for the animals, as well as the people that many of them just hid and they weren't able to to get them. I'm not surprised because the Turkish are known for having a love of cats. There's a mosque, Hagia Sophia, uh, where there's tons of cats there. And people um, engage with um, cats on the street all the time. So there are lots of feral cats in Turkey. So I'm not, I'm not surprised that more people there that you're getting these reports for a lot of cats. Did you know that Dr. Fleck? No, I didn't. And it's really interesting for me to hear that the culture of Turkey, the, the people that live there care so much about their pets, because as we know, in many other countries, they, they still care, but they care differently. Well, in Muslim so countries, they appreciate cats more because if you can remember the history of Egypt, there are always cats mm-hmm. um, with the priest in the granaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and still in the Middle East, dogs are considered, you know, in some places, um, dirty. Um, we see a lot of um, animal abuse in terms of dogs. I mean, in Iran, uh, we know some of the things that, you know, pouring acid on dogs, burning their eyes and things like that. And I remember we reported on this probably about two years ago. One of the Ayatollahs was talking about how dogs are so akin to Western ownership. Better to have cats. I mean, you know, I'm glad that you brought it up, but um, well, we need to take a commercial break. Adam will be back in our next segment. Also next up, we're buzzing about Celebrity Pet Buzz and our new feature, Money Matters.
You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and our buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. I'm Bill Bookout, President and Chairman of the Board at the National Animal Supplement Council, and you're listening to The Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. Thank you for joining us on The Pet Buzz. The show is hosted by the dynamic pet duo. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We're back with Adam Parascandola, the vice president of the Animal Rescue Team for the Humane Society of the United States and Humane Society International. Adam, you were speaking about hidden pets. How are they being cared for? And do the rescuers, they leave food and water out for them or what do they do? Yeah, so, I mean, that's a really good question. And and I think, you know, we, we've all learned a lot, you know, both the local rescuers and, and, and our teams and, you know, what, what works best and, and what is the best way to support these animals. And I think, um, you know, one of the ways is certainly to provide food. And there are many people, you know, who are are still, you know, in the town. They are slowly sort of clearing people out as um, they're beginning to bring buildings down. But um, there are many, you know, animals that live on the street that were very, you know, cared for by the neighborhood. And so certainly we need to support those animals by providing food. And then for animals that are, we're getting reports, they're trapped in apartments or they're in the area. Um, we generally try to provide the food in the trap so that if they get hungry enough, you know, that they will go into the trap. Um, but we will certainly provide water outside of the trap. Um, and then uh, if we are, say, taking the trap for, for the night or taking it uh, to another location and then going to come back, yes, we'll leave food for them. Um and then many of just the regular citizens are providing food for all of the dogs are uh, living at the camps around both the the, the people and the um, responders and response organizations that are here, pretty much getting some, some good handouts from them all. So it is definitely a concern of many people here to provide that food and water. Yeah, and I would also think that during the day when there's lots of activity, and especially now that you mentioned they're taking down buildings, that it would the cats would stay in hiding until coming out later on in the evening and uh, getting nourishment. You know, how exciting was it to see that dog, Alec, removed after three weeks of various earthquakes and aftershocks? Do you think they're going to find a lot more live animals throughout Turkey and Syria as rescue search through the rubble? Or do you think it's a little late? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was a, a, certainly an amazing story and, and very inspiring, I think, for, you know, many, many of the people, you know, both who've, who've lost their animals and also the people that are out there trying to find them. So um, it was an incredible story. I, you know, I think that there are a lot of animals left. I don't know that they are um, animals that are trapped. You know, at this point, we're, we're pretty far out and it's hard. I think it would be hard for an animal. You know, we don't know how he managed to do that or what kind of movement he had under the debris or what kind of, um, 
you know, sort of water sources he had. Unfortunately, you know, we are seeing, you know, animals that are dehydrated when they come out. And so, you know, I, I suspect that while there are a lot of animals left to be alive to be rescued, um, there there are not many that are sort of trapped uh, uh, under under rubble in, in that sort of situation. You know, Charlotte, I think it'll be interesting six months from now to see what the general medical health care is of all the animals in, in Turkey from this condition, because they're going to be a lot of feral conditions. Finally, how can our viewers help this rescue efforts? Yeah, so I think, I mean, there are, um, you know, certainly, uh, obviously, Humane Society International, we are, you know, we are here and we are committed to, to helping in the, in the region, both through, you know, having teams on the ground, um, but also is providing support for folks like these vets, you know, they've lost their clinics, they've lost their homes, they've lost their friends, um, to help to help them rebuild and provide that resource for the community, um, as well as other groups that are working, providing grants for other groups that are working to help animals here. Um, uh, and so, you know, donations are, are always uh, appreciated, uh, both by Humane Society International and um, other groups that are working in this region. And so before you depart, can you give us the Humane Society International's website? Yes, it is uh, hsi.org. Great. Well, just to remind you, we were talking with Adam Parascondola of the Humane Society International about rescuing animals after the earthquake and aftershocks in Turkey and Syria. If you can send a donation for HSI, the Turkish uh, rescue efforts, any donation of any amount would definitely be appreciated. Such interesting information coming from Adam and wow. just, you know, wondering like what's next, you know, and the, all of the Turkish people having to rebuild their lives in those areas, not only Turkey, but in Syria, rebuilding their lives. Yep. We know that from hurricane disasters where we live. Sure. And hopefully they'll find some more, some more pets, yeah. but you know what? I can't wait to talk to our dear friend, John Goodwood and tell him that we had the opportunity to speak to Adam while he was in Turkey. Absolutely. Well, Adam, thank you so much. We totally appreciate you being here. Sure. Thank you for having me. Okay, bye-bye. We love our celebrities, especially when they have pets. Now for Celebrity Pet Buzz. Gaga OMG, you're not going to believe this. Lady Gaga is being sued by the dog thief accomplice who returned her pets for not paying the $500,000 reward. Well, after putting a no questions asked on her reward offering, Gaga has been sued by one of the five people arrested in connection with the theft of her two dogs and the shooting of her dog walker. According to the Los Angeles County Superior Court documents obtained by People, that's People for Pets, Jennifer McBride, the woman who returned Gaga's dogs, Koji and Gustav, has sued the 13-time Grammy Award winner for not paying the $500,000 reward she originally offered. McBride's attorney argued in Friday's filing that by stating no questions asked, with the reward offering and failing to pay, Gaga committed a breach of contract, fraud by a false promise, and fraud by misrepresentation. We have yet to hear from a comment from Gaga's attorney. Really, Ms. McBride, why should you be enriched for being part of a conspiracy to commit pet theft? That's Gaga Goo Goo Crazy. Well, we're introducing a new feature, Pet Money Matters, with me, petrondologist Charlotte Reed. Thank <laughs> you.
Pet Money Matters with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. Have you priced pet toys recently? They cost a fortune. Check out Pinterest for homemade dog toys and homemade cat toys that are inexpensive to make and can entertain your pets for hours, if not days, weeks, or months. If you recall, Dream Team member, certified feline behaviorist Beth Edelman uses a shoestring, which she attaches to a feather, maybe some mice toys, and other cat-friendly objects for a great feline play session. She also encourages cat owners to use muffin tins for an easy feline feeding puzzle. And lastly, don't throw out those Amazon boxes. Just add some catnip and or some silver vine to the inside of the box. Throw in a few toys and voila, you've created a great cat play center. Ka-ching! We've just kept more money in your pocket. Up next, bet you can't wait for my I likey of the week. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. www.epi-pet.com EpiPet is another proud partner of the Pet Buzz. So I'm a cat, and I just moved in with this new human, and she's got this little toy she's always playing with, all day long. Tap, 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 bloop, bloop. She can't put it down. There it is. Oh, and get this, she even talks to it. Last week, she asked it for Chinese, and guess what? Egg rolls showed up, like magic. Humans have cool toys. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio, where we focus on enhancing the bond between pets and their people. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Let's kick off this segment with the I Likey of the Week. It's genius. It's to die for. Well, spring is upon us, and that means your allergies might be back. Runny nose, congestion, coughing, experiencing fatigue, and irritating eyes are all symptoms of allergies. Your pets can have the same symptoms, except they'll be scratching and itching too. Well, here's the kicker. You have to think of your pet like a dust mop, collecting all those allergens on a skin and coat when he or she travels outdoors. And then coupled with shedding season, that hair could be all over or throughout your home, especially on his dog bed. Think twice if you have a dog bed in your bedroom. And for allergy sufferers, consider treating yourself to a rabbit air purifier. Equipped with six stage filtration and deodorization, which includes a BioGS HEPA filter that's made from proprietary fiber material that not only traps but reduces particles such as dander, dust, mold, spores, 
and pollen. Bacteria and viruses are also reduced on the filter. It has an efficiency of trapping particles down to a 0.3 microns at 99.97%. A charcoal-based activated carbon filter reduces VOCs and odors, but you can also choose a custom filter option, allowing you to tailor the system to your specific environmental needs. For pet owners, the company recommends the pet allergy customized filter. And just so you know, these filters are long lasting up to 12 months in fact. And Rabbit Air purifiers are Energy Star, so they save on electrical. They have a five fan speed with the lowest being silent. Oh, I like that. And as an added perk, you can customize the front panel design with a Peanuts or Snoopy design or go with the Artist Series designs. They can be wall mounted and have Wi-Fi capabilities. So, for a better breathing experience for you and your pet, check out Rabbit Air at rabbitair.com. We've got mail. You've got mail. Well, June from Arkansas writes, Charlotte, I know you're a bird lover as well as a cat lover. I want to remind your listening audience that March 15, 2023 marks the first annual National Catio Day, an awareness day celebrating catios as a way to protect both birds and cats. You know that cats can be a risk to all types of birds. Estimates are that cats kill about 2.4 billion birds in the U.S. alone every year. And time spent outdoors is a great danger to cats as well, from everything from cars to coyotes. The solution for bird and cat lovers is the catio. The patio for cats protects birds as well as cats. From small window boxes to elaborate screen porches with perches, tunnels, and more, catios provide cats a window on the world with all the sights and the sounds of the outdoors without the hazard to cats or to birds. So whether you buy or build a catio, know that your local, regional, and migratory birds will be protected from cats and that cats will be protected from wandering coyotes. June further writes, that she wants to thank us for such a great show that she and her husband listen to Dr. Fleck and myself every week via Spotify. Well, June, thank you so much for writing. Please send us some more information and comments. We love to share. We love the Pet Buzz listeners, and we encourage all of you, just like June, to send comments, ask questions, and to share your pet stories with us. We love to hear from you. So tweet on Twitter, post on Facebook or Instagram. You can even write us at team at thepetbuzz.com. Well, it's been more than a month since the February derailment of a Norfolk Southern train carrying toxic chemicals in East Palestine, Ohio. Since then, 45,000 aquatic animals have died in and around the area, according to the Ohio Department of Natural Resources. Additionally, news outlets have reported that raccoons, baby calves, foxes, muskrats, chickens, and roosters died soon after the explosion. Some have even gone in for necropsies. But what about the pets, the dogs and the cats of the residents? And how are they doing since this track derailment and explosion with this toxic mushroom cloud kind of hanging over the town, contaminating the air and the soil? Our next guest is going to tell us. And joining us today to discuss how pets have been affected in the East Palestine area is Teresa McGuire, the executive director of the Columbiana County Humane Society. Teresa, welcome to the Pet Bus today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
we really are pleased to have you join us to shed some light on what's happening to the animals in East Palestine, Ohio. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate you guys having me. So before we get started, can you describe the affected area and the people who live in East Palestine? Can you talk about the area residents as well as the marine, wildlife, and agricultural life so that people have a better idea what East Palestine and its people and just the general environment's like? Yeah, so I mean, East Palestine is basically a blue-collar agricultural community. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere, uh, close to everything, but but far at the same time. It's an old industrial area. There's a lot of old factories there that have long since shut down. There's a lot of hunting goes on. A lot of people use uh, hunting for means of, of storing food for the winters, things like that. A lot of people fish, freeze things and, you know, use stuff for all year round. Um, big agricultural area. Uh, we have a lot of farmers that uh, rely on their crops, their grain, their meat, their, their product to sustain life. Homes in the area are relatively inexpensive because the businesses all, I mean, most of them have moved out to more busy areas. This is sure. definitely blue collar agricultural town for sure. And, you know, they're not that far from Pittsburgh. So a lot of the people who have lived there, the older residents were working in the steel mills in the 50s mm-hmm. and the 60s, and then they shut down. Some people would even drive into Pennsylvania over the border to work. And I'm not surprised. I mean, if you think of, um, you know, Sue Plants, my uh dog breeder who lives near Pittsburgh in Georgetown. They have a cow. It's slaughtered every year. And that cow is used for almost the whole year for the two of them. So it's it's not surprising that people fish and hunt and eat what they kill. It's not like they catch it and release it, right? Right, right. Correct. Things are done a lot of times people forget about people doing that. You hunt and gather and 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 people here still do. Okay, so one of the things that I'm interested in, because you're not in East Palestine, but sure. you are in Columbiana County at the Columbia County Humane Society. Yes. Um, how far are you from East Palestine? We're right about 14 miles outside of where that train derailment happened. So that's close, mm-hmm. a good 15 minutes away. And now have pets, I guess, by you guys have, have been affected as well? Uh, it seems a little more dispersed in this area, but we've been fielding a lot of calls from the East Palestine and probably within a few mile radius of there. It seems to be more predominant in those areas. It is happening out in here. It's just not as predominant. You know, if you've just joined us, we're speaking with Teresa McGuire. She's the executive director of the Columbiana Humane Society about how pets are being affected by the train derailment and its consequences. You know, when we first spoke, you mentioned that some of the residents were told to evacuate from their homes soon after the train derailed. Were these people able to take their pets or did they leave them behind? Just talk to us about how that was handled. Uh, Well, how that was, and a lot of people can't understand this. We've had a lot of people say they just don't understand. They were told to evacuate. A lot of people did take their pets with them. A lot of them didn't. Um, if you have cats, you know they don't just come running when somebody's beating at the door. They usually disperse and hide. And some dogs do that as well. Uh, so some people, they gathered what they could. They were told they were going to be able to come back the next morning. And then the next morning came and they were told they couldn't return yet. Some of them had put food and water down the night before, thinking they were coming back the very next morning and that it would be, it would be fine. 
Um, but it wasn't when they went to go back home. A lot of people have been getting a lot of flack for that saying, how could you leave them behind? But when you're in a life or death situation, kind of like that, and people are knocking on your door saying, you got to go, you got to go. You grab your kids and you grab your keys and you go. And many of those people have guns. Yes, that is very true. So there's no time to find the dog or the cat. You know what I mean? Unless you just don't open the door and pull the shade down if if you see it happening. But it's it's difficult. I mean, that's crazy. So were these people able to get in the next day or how? No. Uh, They when they went to go back the next morning, uh, they were met at the barricades blocking entry into the town. Um, and they were told, no, they couldn't return. And so, so a lot of them were saying, well, I left pets behind. You said I could come back. And they're told, no, you can't come back in. It's not safe yet. We got involved that the night that that happened, we decided we were going to help. Um, we kind of went down. We were still able to go in up until the end of Sunday. We were taking people's keys. Our humane agent, um, Erica, she was going down and people were bringing keys to our office. We were going down there with food and water, opening people's homes. We're not seeing any animals, but we're putting food and water just inside the door, locking the door, putting the keys on the counter there, just so at least we made sure that there was plenty of food and water for them. Well, we need to take a commercial break. Teresa, we'll be back. She's going to stick around for our next segment discussing the dogs and cats of East Palestine, Ohio. Also up next is Global Pet News and Tell Me Something Good. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Here at the Pet Buzz, we are urban, suburban, and and country. Well, we're back with Teresa McGuire, the executive director of the Columbiana Humane Society, who is enlightening us about how dogs and cats are doing after the train derailment, the release of toxic chemicals, and now the cleanup in this very unique uh, Ohio town. I guess I wanted to know, after these affected animals showing signs of vinyl chloride poisoning, yes? We suspect, I mean, if you look at the signs and symptoms of vinyl chloride poisoning, although there's no direct test for that specifically. But I have a question for you, Dr. Fleck, because to prove that the these dogs have this point, don't you have to submit, you know, once they're passed, don't you have to submit their bodies for necropsies? Um, if you really want to prove. Yeah. Would, they and would, that's costly. There, there are certain things in the blood that may not get in to the muscle tissue or the bones. So you'd be looking at a complete evaluation with a necropsy, uh, which means autopsy in people. And so you'd be looking at blood testing, you'd be looking at tissue samples, you'd be looking at bone samples. I mean, I even question what's it gonna be like six months down the road medically, the health of the pets, as well as the health of the people in that, that area, it's gonna be, Unfortunately, to use the wrong term, it'll be interesting to see what happens six months or a year down the road with this exposure. Well, I think about 9-11, for example, um, with the firefighters Mm -hmm. and area residents. And also, depending on the time of the year with storms, those toxins will blow. Mm -hmm. I mean, they will they will blow. So, I mean, uh, Teresa's 14 miles away, but she's still in the immediate area. Um, I was in Columbus last week and I was concerned about my health because even though Columbus is a few hours ride, probably what, three to four? It's about three, yeah. 
three or four half. Yeah. You know, once that wind blows, it just carries. I think what you're going to see, um, and you guys have a lot of stray cats in town. I think you'll see what starts happening with those stray cats who are not neutered or spayed when they start having deformed babies. Is what you'll end up, don't you think, Dr. Flynn? Yeah, and that's why I think, you know, Ohio State University has a veterinary college and laboratories there. Hopefully that they'll take uh, that into consideration to come to your community and maybe do some some follow-up work uh, to to help discover if there's issues and how to resolve those particular issues. And with you being the Humane Society there, I'm sure that it'll be wonderful for you to be able to work with them, even call them. About. I have spoken to them. Yeah. Uh, I have spoken to them. I talked to them early on uh, about a lot of the what ifs. Um, so I do have a main contact down there with uh, one of the directors down there. So I, I have been in communication. Good, good. And w there are other ways that you've been helping um, pet owners, correct? I mean, yes. people have been boarding, right? We had at one point we had 27 dogs here. Um, we kind of took our adoptable animals and sent them to shelters where they could get adopted uh, so that we could take in the animals from East Palestine. So we did have a full house here. We were all hands on deck. We were working 12, 14 hour days. Um, but we did. We housed them. We kept them here. We walked them. We played ball with them. We did a lot of things with them. Um, and of course, I mean, they were already having hard times. We didn't charge for that. Everybody in the pet industry works 12 to 14 hours a day. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, this is very true. So what can our listeners do to help your organization and the pets of East Palestine? Well, basically, I mean, we're trying to, we're taking in donations. We can take things down to people that are having, that are financially strapped. Uh, maybe they can't afford food this month for their dogs. Um, we are taking in donations for that. We can take things down there to them. And then obviously, I mean, us as a facility, we did lose out on a lot of our, I guess you would say business. We had to put some things back off on the side burner just to help handle some of these situations and help, help the community out with that. Uh, but it was a bit of an eye opener. So we did, uh, kind of do a little internal check here and we have a lot of things that we need to change and update this our building is very old um it's seen better days we need to update some things we need to make things better here so that we could better we took in 27 i wish we could have taken in 50 um there were still people calling there were still people needing help there's still people calling uh, they've been home and then they need to leave because they're not feeling well and i wish we had room to continue to help Right now we don't we have been looking to do some some work and some expanding we had a property that was donated to us so we did have uh, conversations about possibly building a building out on that facility where we could actually have pasture we could have a barn we could have things like that so we're moving towards that in that direction we're going to be doing a lot of fundraisers fundraisers this year Teresa, thank you for helping so many pets and people that were in a very vulnerable situation and still are can you yeah. give us your website? Uh, our website is Columbiana County Humane Society.com. So it's just all spelled out one word.com. You know, it's so interesting because when this happened, so many news outlets didn't really cover the situation. News Nation covered the situation. And uh, now everyone's kind of, they've covered it and they've kind of let it slide. 
Well, everyone, just to remind you, that was Teresa McGuire, the executive director of the Columbiana Humane Society, who was enlightening us about how dogs and cats are doing after the train derailment and its consequences in East Palestine, Ohio. Up next, Global Pet News. And now, Pet Buzz News from around the globe. Well, a cat with a gang tattoo that says made in Mexico is looking for a new home after it was rescued from a prison. So let me explain. A nameless Sphinx cat with gang tattoos was rescued from Ciudad Juarez prison in Mexico. There are tattoos on both sides of the cat's hairless body, one which reads made in Mexico. Authorities said they are now seeking a caring family to adopt the one-year-old cat. This tattooed Sphinx will no longer be subject to life behind bars and hopefully will find a new family soon after it was rescued from Cerezo 3 prison in Mexico. The cat who doesn't have a name yet was taken into care of animal rescue workers in the city after authorities found that gang members had tattooed and generally mistreated the animal. The phrase made in Mexico is linked to those Mexicales, a street gang linked to the notorious Sinola cartel. The tattoos were inscribed on the cat without anesthetic and may have belonged to a gang leader who was killed on January 5th after escaping from prison. Authorities say they are now looking for a caring family to adopt this cat because he's very social and is in great shape with no infections. Mexican authorities are still making a decision about who will adopt this young feline and plan to entrust the creature to a caring family. But my question is, how can Mexican jail officials allow this cat to live in jail and be abused and inked? I can only hope that this cat finds a family who will love him, respect him, and take care of him so that he can have a kinder and gentler life. Time for feline fabulous something good. News of the day got you down? No worries. Pet trendologist Charlotte Reed is here with Tell Me Something Good. This is a necessity like air and oxygen. Tell me something good. Well, Fairy Tale Pet Care is a service that cares for couples' pets during their weddings. There's a new meowable trend they want everyone to know about. They think couples need to ditch the bouquet in the garter and help get shelter pets adopted instead. And how is this done? Well, with the cat toss, the cool new throwing things at a wedding tradition. Say what? Well, on TikTok, the company demonstrated how you could host adoptable pets at your wedding. So at this particular reception, the bride and groom decided to do a cat toss in lieu of chucking the bouquet. Together, they threw a plush cat, I'll say it again, a plush cat, not a real one, into the waiting crowd. So whoever caught it was required to adopt a shelter cat. So the only people who wanted a cat headed out to the dance floor. So this worthy cause is really catastic, but the resulting toss was the cherry on the top. One bridesmaid was clearly 
in it to win it, displaying range, aggression, and plenty of effort. She had her elbows out. When the plush cat was thrown, she leaped into the air and deflected it away from a group of would-be cat adopters. As the plushie fell to the ground, this would-be cat mom dove on the ground to make sure she got it first. All I can say is nice play, girlfriend. Even better, at that particular wedding, fairy tale pet care says two additional kittens found adopters. Well, the viral TikTok video also earned more than 4 million views. Check it out on our social media channels. The plush cat toss, you gotta watch it to love it. Helping cats get adopted at weddings, now that's something good. Well, it's a wrap. Before we go, we wanna give you a preview of next week's show. Next week, we're talking about March as Pet Poison Prevention Month and reading pet food labels. Special thanks to our guest, Adam Pescaradola and Teresa McGuire. And we must thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin, cut and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. If you have a question, write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. We'll cover it on next week's show. And if you've missed any portion of this show, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channel and listen to the linked podcast on Monday morning. Most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. www.thepetbuzz.com Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.